your home of the pins and the best pins covering. WXDX FM Pittsburgh, an iHeart Radio station. Something stupid happened at PNC Park, and for change, it didn't involve the Pirates' base running. A fan wore a T-shirt to the game that said, Spend nothing, win nothing. And the Pirates saw it and made him turn the shirt inside out. The Pirates later said that their employee should not have made the fan do that, turn his shirt inside out, but the employee did. And who really knows how the Pirates actually felt? The Pirates have control of what is worn in their ballpark. No question. But to make this fan turn his shirt inside out is petty. Tom Petty. Absolutely picayune and silly. But that's the Pirates. You can tell nobody's ever made fun of the hillbilly rich kid down in West Virginia. He's being way too sensitive with that sort of policy. But sports teams in general are wound way too tight. The Penguins have reprimanded people for yelling too loud at PPG Paints Arena because family, family, family. Well, what if you don't have a family? What if you're there with the guys? People go to games for different reasons and with different objectives. And they all pay to get in, not just the families. The Steelers once ejected a veteran. A veteran! at the behest of Mrs. Todd Haley because the veteran was criticizing Haley's play calling. Well, the Steelers can't Haley. The veteran was right. Does the veteran get to come back now? That's sick again. Brought to you by 84 Lumber, helping you build the right way since 1956. I love the Penguins. The franchise has run in absolutely exemplary fashion. And I get the family atmosphere thing. But if you take your kid to a game, that's not your living room or your kitchen. It's a public event that people pay to get into. Not just you and your kid. You aren't the only ones who paid. And so the event isn't just for you and your kid. People think that. People think, I'm here, my kid's here. Everything should be done with an eye toward keeping me and especially my kid in his comfort zone. And I think I speak for every single man when I say, F you and your crappy kid. I, I don't care. In Philadelphia, the Flyers have an adult atmosphere. I hate to say this. I like their atmosphere better. And kids go too, and somehow they don't all wind up in juvenile detention. Just the best part of them. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. Seriously, people go to events thinking the event's just for them. And that there's something there that makes them uncomfortable or they don't enjoy it, that should be stopped or that person who makes them feel uncomfortable should be objective or that guy should shut up and sit down because my kid can't see. My kid's scared by the noise. My kid, my kid, my kid, my kid, my kid. And then we wonder why that kid and most kids grow up to be entitled because they're taught to be entitled from the minute the doctor slaps their ass. Tell you what, if you could go back in time, instead of slapping the kid's ass, most doctors should slap the parents across the face. 
not to be critical. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. I have a terrible story to tell. It's cathartic, so I got to tell it. I told it on Twitter. I told it this morning on the DV Morning Show. I was leaving Neville Island yesterday. I ran my annual uh, hockey tournament. By the way, thanks to all the teams that participated. 44 this year. Let me congratulate the champions before I make everybody cry. Uh, Hark's Place from Cranberry won the Rec B deck hockey. Team Pittsburgh Saints from Brighton Heights won the Rec A deck hockey. Uh, North Park Lightning won the top roller hockey division for the sec- third straight year, I think it is. And then uh, LaMagna Cheese uh, was the runner-up uh, in the lower roller hockey division. Anyway, I'm leaving the tournament. I'm on the ramp going up to uh, I-79. And a young deer went up the ramp and got on 79. And it was so scared. And I stopped my car, and the guy in front of me on the ramp did, but the traffic didn't stop. And the deer got so unnerved, it jumped off the bridge and fell 30 feet and died. At least I would assume I, I couldn't look. I couldn't, you know, I thought for a second about getting out of the car, seriously, and trying to, like, guide the deer back down the ramp, like, you know, just getting in between you know, like, but how unsafe would that have been? So I'm glad I didn't do that, but I wish I could have done more. I, I pulled over after I got, you know, over the ramp and back on uh, 65 going toward town. I pulled off in the parking lot, like, just sat there for five minutes. I would just really shake it up. Uh, you know, I, I and people are going to call and say, well, where do you think the steak comes from? Let me tell you something. If the cows jumped off the I-79 overpass, I'd go vegan, okay? But to see that deer so frightened and to just take that that fall, boy, that was just incredibly unnerving. We got a bunch of calls lined up. Let's take one real quick to, oh, my God, Jeremy on 79 North. What an awful time to call from there. Jeremy, you're on the Mark Madden Show. <laughs> uh, good Monday afternoon, Mr. Madden. What's up? Um, so game yesterday, the first thing that people should realize is that the Penguins put themselves in a two nothing hole. Uh, you open yourself to getting, you know, raked over the coals by poor officiating, which is part of the game. Uh, I thought the Pens played. Yeah, that's a little too cavalierly accepting of poor officiating. And to say it's part of the game is to validate it. And I will not validate bad officiating. Okay. But, uh, you know, head coach Sullivan always says, I mean, you make it sound like it's the Penguins fault that the officiating was bad. Okay, I agree there's enough. certain things you have to overcome, and yeah, they lost the game. But but I, yeah. I, I don't see a point in this other than I think you think it's kind of funny the Penguins lost. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I just think that they put themselves in a position to be posed by poor officiating. It's not their fault. Well, I mean, I guess I'm saying it is, but... Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, point. the officiating was so poor... That if you take away the goal that uh, they interfered with Murray on, and you count the goal that Hornquist scored, they probably win. So you could talk about the hole they dug. Maybe the poor officiating dug a hole that was a bit deeper, even still. That's fair. That's fair. I, I'm not going to argue against that. But uh, your point in the no quarter segment that that Pittsburgh fans should have been through this all before. Just last year, 
and shouldn't be losing their heads is a point that most people should be taking today. Yeah, they're not, but thank you for the call. 412-333-9939. At the bottom of the hour, Phil Bork, the old two-niner. We got Ryan, Brad, and Al up next. They're on hold, if they stay on hold. And if not, we'll talk to, I don't know, somebody. 105.90X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. You're kidding me. That's ridiculous. You know what? I'm going to skip right to my original thought and just say, this is stupid, you're stupid, thanks for calling. The X at 105.9. Here's a couple news items that, well, I wouldn't exactly call them news. The Steelers just released safety J.J. Wilcox. That'll save them 3.1 mil. I mean, they drafted a couple safeties. They signed a free agent safety. That didn't spell uh, future employment for J.J. Wilcox. And the Pirates announced that uh, they're putting Stephen Brault in the bullpen and putting Nick Kingham in the rotation. King, of course, pitched uh, six and two-thirds innings perfect in his uh, Major League debut, so maybe we should put him in the rotation. Yeah, maybe you should. And maybe you should have done it a couple years ago. Well, there was the Tommy John thing, but he's 26 and he's a rookie. And, boy, that service clock, they hate to start that thing a tick, tick, ticking. A couple of hockey management moves. Ronnie Francis, who had been kicked upstairs by the Carolina Hurricanes when they changed ownership uh, late in the season, he's now been relieved of any duties with Carolina. They were in a tough spot in Carolina because Ronnie's a franchise legend there. But most of that franchise legend time was put in with Hartford uh, when the Hurricanes franchise played there as the Whalers. So it wasn't quite you know the same for him in Carolina with, with the people. And then I think he was in charge there seven years and they never made the playoffs. So what are you going to do? I mean, I think Ronnie will wind up working here maybe as an assistant GM at some point because uh, he and uh, Jim Rutherford worked together in Carolina and are very close. And Ronnie's a, a Penguins guy, too, so that'd be great. I would really love to see that at some point. Also, the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs kind of fired. I say kind of fired because he was at the end of his contract, and Brendan Shanahan, their their vice president, said this was always the plan. It's three years is up, and they let Lou Lamorello go. The GM, of course, won all those cuts with the Devils. And uh, he'll be kicked upstairs as well to some kind of advisory position. And no successors yet been named. Uh, Lou did a decent job with Toronto, except for barely having any NHL caliber defensemen on the roster, as we saw in Game 7 against Boston. Uh, Lou is 75, so maybe that's long enough. I'm a big fan of Lou Lamorello. Has had a great NHL career and uh, served both franchises with distinction, New Jersey and Toronto. And, you know, Toronto... At least one thing they did under Lou was get the stench of losing out of their mouths. Noses, I should say. Taste of losing. Stench of... They, they do pretty good now. And he did draft Austin Matthews, but I'm not sure that that was really all that difficult to figure out. You know who's being mentioned as a candidate in Toronto for the GM job? Pierre Maguire. You know, I want to see Pierre be GM somewhere, just not here. I didn't think it was the right fit for him here, despite his relationship with Mario. I think they needed more of a veteran GM to put the team over the top, and that's what they got, and that's what uh, the great Jim Rutherford did. Some sports media news. You'll like this one. Jason Witten, 
the Dallas tight end. He would make about $1.8 million if he played football this year. If he does Monday Night Football for ESPN, he would make over $4 million. Twice the money for a job that's 10 times easier. No brain trauma at ESPN. Well, I mean, the executives all have had it for years, but, but you know, Witten wouldn't take any helmet-to-helmet shots at the worldwide leader. Now, now, think about this. ESPN is laying off hundreds of people, seemingly every year, but offering a football player with zero broadcasting experience over $4 million to work, what, 16 nights a year. And that's why ESPN is failing. And that's why ESPN is so hard to like. And that's why ESPN is so easy to hate. Let's go to Brad and Beaver Connie. Brad, you're on the Mark Madden Show. Good day, Mr. Madden. What up? Just talking about the uh, the state of affairs for fans at the uh, PPG Arena because we've been going there for years. We have season tickets. And as of the last year, year and a half, we've had numerous complaints, been drawn into the NHL office, top of the sections, just for us standing up and yelling. The NHL office? Yeah, yeah well... They they bring the during the playoffs they bring in the NHL ushers instead of the local ushers. No, they don't. Then, it's the same ushers. Well, they they don't change there. the ushers. That's ridiculous. Goodbye. Yeah, they bring in special ushers, bro. When I said before that we should that that, that a, a parent with his kid should should realize that the game's not just for them. Well, you should realize it's not just for you either. Let's go to Al and Scott Township. Hello, Al. You're all with Double M. Hello, Mr. Madden. Big What's fan, up? big fan. Hey, I was just wondering, do you think the Penguins walked in last night to that game thinking that they're better than Washington? You know, I think hockey. they walked in confident they could win, but did, did they take the game for granted without Gino and Hagelin? No, I don't think they did. Did they go into D.C.'s arena against a team that finished with five more points and two more wins than them? Think it would be easy? No, I, I don't think they did. Maybe the other team just played well. They want to win too, you know, and they have pretty good players, don't they? Absolutely, sir. Well, thank you for the call, and thank you for not being mad that I made you look like a dope. Goodbye. I, I hate that. How could they lose at Washington? How could they lose to a team that had five more points and two more wins than them. How could they lose to a bum like Ovechkin with his 660 goals? How could Ovechkin score over Murray's glove? He's never beaten anybody over the glove, except for maybe 300 of his goals. You know, I like Penguin fans a lot better when we're not very good. But I like the team better when it's going for a third straight Stanley Cup. Up next, the old 2-9er Phil Bork, 105-9. This is Evgeny Malkin, and you are listening to Mark Madden on 1059 The X. Let's keep the great hockey talk going. Joining me now, he is a two time Stanley Cup champion. He is the Pittsburgh Penguins radio analyst. We welcome the old two niner, Phil Bork. Borky, let's cut to the chase. Should the goal by Hornquist have counted? In my estimation, yes. Uh, I can only go by what my eyeballs saw. I don't think we could ever assume. Uh, even though it, in your mind it's telling you 100% it's in the net, we need a visual. And I know how the rule works, that if it's the other way around, the NHL needs to show a picture to Jimmy Rutherford 
that it's absolutely a goal. Uh, I was surprised that the referee uh, was so emphatic and waving off the goal. I don't know how he could he could guesstimate like that in the position he was in, but. I, you know, I have a little monitor up in the booth with Mikey, and we we didn't see many angles that gave us that conclusive, one hundred percent, no doubt about it, uh, picture that said red goal line, white ice, black puck. Until they blew it up, and I didn't need to see much white ice. It only had to be a fine white, uh, fine line, and that's what I saw: red line, white ice, black puck. Tells me it's over the goal line. If that goal counts, does the game turn out different? I think so. Uh, just knowing how those uh, itchy butts get in the seats in Washington <laughs> if the Penguins were mounting a comeback again. Uh, I, I just know how it felt in game number one when the Penguins were able to come back. And uh, I just feel like maybe it wasn't in regulation, but you kind of felt like, okay, the Penguins are going to get another one here. We probably have to go to bonus hockey. Yeah, I think if that goal counts, the game gets to overtime. And in that vein... Should Verona's goal been disallowed for goaltender interference, given the standard by which that's been called? No, and I talked to a couple of scouts up in the press box uh, in between periods, and they said where the referee missed it or, or messed up was it should have been a penalty on uh, Connolly for bumping into uh, Matt Murray. You know, there's so many times that we see these goalie interference calls, Mark, where the player, the offensive player, bumps into a defensive player and then bumps into the goalie. Sometimes they'll kind of take that contact and allow themselves to go into the goaltender. Other times defensemen or defensive players just are not real smart and they'll push a player into their own goaltender. That wasn't the case here at all. Conley went in all on his own accord and went right after the right pad of Matt Murray. Uh, Did it knock him off balance a lot? No, but he was already down in a butterfly position. I thought it knocked him off balance enough where it should have been a penalty. And I think once they look at it, they should have realized, man, we messed up here. It should have been a penalty. The least we can do is wave off the goal, considering the the, um, the contact by Conley on Murray. Well, right, but you can't call a penalty via review, right. correct? Correct. Yeah, you couldn't call the penalty. But at that point, you have to realize, wow, we messed up here. We can't call a penalty. The bare minimum, we have to wave off the goal. Did Wilson target Dumoulin's head, and should he have been suspended? 100%. It, it, it blows my mind. It really does. I, I don't even know where to go with it anymore, Mark. Um, and talking to players, uh, current players, uh, former players, I, I've never heard a league so confused about one rule uh, as this rule. What is, what isn't. I know I, I remember when uh, Drew Dowdy got suspended for the one game for the hit that he threw, uh, I, I thought, you know, what is that? Is it a penalty? Is it not a penalty? Is it a suspension? Not a suspension? But as far as Tom Wilson, you have to look at his record. First of all, you go back to last year and how he would target players. He went after uh, Connor Sherry. If you remember, I think I counted 15 strides he took before the high hit he threw on Sherry. Um, I just go back to this year. You go into the preseason, the game against St. Louis, hit to the head, he gets suspended for two preseason games. Way to hurt him. But the first game of the regular season, what does he do? He does it again. He gets suspended for four games. Then in round one against Columbus, he goes after Alexander Wenberg. The same thing. Blide side, hit to the head. He gets a two-minute minor penalty and no suspension. And now this. I'm just, uh, you know, I don't think anybody knows where to go with this. But at the end of the day, 
you have to know the culprit. You have to know his history, and you have to look at the video. And we, we get maybe, what, half of the video looks that Toronto gets? And clearly, to me, 100%, it was a hit to a hit. And if this is the Penguin doing this, we're having the same conversation, Mark. Orpik targeted Modest Head in 2016. Niskanen cross-checked Sid in the head last year. And now this with Wilson. That's right. a lot of coincidence. Is injuring the Penguins part of Washington's game plan? Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, you know, when we talked about the, the Niskanen thing last year, I mean, we were heated, both of us. And, w- and we, wanted, we wanted blood. We wanted... We wanted retribution, we wanted payback, and we wanted the suspension. We didn't get any of that. Uh, and, and guess who had to make that skate of shame down the length of the ice and shake the Penguins' hands? It was the Washington Capitals. And I think that's, that's where the Penguins are so mature, is they're able to kind of internalize this and kind of use it as fuel on their fire. And that's really all you can do, Mark, because you, you don't have the personnel to go out and play bam-bam on, on uh, Tom Wilson's head as much as you would love to. So you've got to go scoreboard. You've got to go scoreboard on him and then make him make that skate to come shake your hand after you win four games. Chris Letang said today, we don't know what's legal and what isn't. Uh, is that true? And boy, Borky, if it is, it makes the game awful dangerous. It does. It makes it awful dangerous because you literally have to have eyeballs in the back of your head when you have players like that. And uh, I've just seen it too many times from Tom Wilson. He, does, he very rarely hits a player in the chest. If you notice, almost all of it's from the blind side or right from behind. And he, he really doesn't care. Uh, I heard him after the uh, Wenberg penalty, which ended up costing him the game in round one, his team the game, uh, because Columbus scored on that, on that penalty. He said, I hurt my hockey club. And he goes out and does it again. Uh, he, he must just kind of be chuckling to himself saying, holy moly, can you believe they didn't call that one or they didn't suspend me? He's got to be chuckling to myself. He says one thing. He's a bit of a, a wolf in sheep's clothing because he's pretty smooth in front of the camera and the way he kind of deflects it of, oh, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. Oh, I'm not that kind of guy. Oh, I hope he's okay. Lie, lie, and lie. I mean, it's pretty obvious. But listen, at the end of the day, this is playoff hockey. You had Adam Graves on Mario Lemieux. You had Chris King on Joey Mullen. We've seen this before, Mark, and at the end of the day, all that matters is finding a way to win four games. We're talking to Phil Bork, the old 2-9er. He's brought to you by Armstrong, One Wire Infinite Possibilities, and by Coors Light. Uh, now, when, when, when I said that, uh, and you agreed, that injuring the Penguins is part of Washington's game plan, do you think Barry Trotz says that per se, or do you think it's unspoken and just kind of trickles down as something that's understood? I think it's probably suggested. Uh, I don't think it's, it's that clear-cut. The let's go out and rip their heads off. Uh, but I think kind of tongue-in-cheek, it's suggested in so many ways. And, and like I said, a guy like Tom Wilson, uh, you could have a coach that says, listen, we're not going to go out there and touch these guys. We're not going to hit them at all. We're just going to beat them in the speed game. Tom Wilson can't help himself. He's a guy that just runs around with reckless abandon, and, and that's just his game. Uh, he feels like th- when his team is in a bit of trouble, the way that he has to change the game is to try to end somebody's career, possibly their life. And that's how he feels he can be impactful. That's just who he is. And I don't think it matters who the coach is or what kind of message that coach is delivering. Were you surprised that all the injured got practice today? Uh, I don't know what that holds for tomorrow, game three, in terms of who participates, but that's not a bad sign, certainly. 
I think of the three guys, I was not surprised that, that Geno skated uh, because he looked really good the other day, and I, I was very hopeful that he played in game number two. I was pleasantly surprised that Carl Haglund skated. Um, that's, a, that's a really good sign. Uh, I was very surprised that Brian Dumoulin skated, and that is a very good sign uh, because you know the process, Mark, that you know when the injury happens or, or when the, the hit to the head happens, that the doctor is going to see signs that says, I don't want you going back in the game. And I think that's when the player really comes out of the equation. The next step is uh, what kind of sleep he can get and how he feels when he awakes, um, when he wakes up. And I think then it becomes we need to give you some, some kind of exercise. You need you to push yourself on the ice or off the ice. And I'm sure that Brian Dumoulin was the one that elected to go on the ice. And now we just kind of go through the process. How do you feel after being on the ice and how he's going to feel tomorrow morning? And you never know. He might play in game three. Where's this series at? Uh, with all the controversy yesterday, uh, which we've talked about to this point in the segment, Borky, it's kind of got lost that the Penguins got a split at D.C., which is pretty good. It is pretty good. and I, I, I've taken the giant step backwards over the last couple of days to just kind of soak in what I witnessed uh, in Game 1 and Game 2. Um, concerning the starts of periods, absolutely. Um, I do love the battle level and the way the Penguins battled back in, in both games after they righted the ship. I just don't think it's fair that you're having your goaltender make so many unbelievable saves. Uh, I think they just got to button it up uh, because there's just too many odd man breaks, and they're, they're just not tight enough defensively. Uh, it is great to get the home ice advantage and to get a split out of Washington, but also there has to be some, some real concerns, some red flags with this hockey club that there's a side you feel like, yes, we got the split. That's the bare minimum you want to get when you start uh, the series on the road. But the other part is, oh, boy, maybe we're kind of lucky we got a split. Maybe we didn't deserve that because we weren't as good as we need to be defensively to win this series. I totally agree. And I thought both games were winnable. They could be up two to none. But both games were losable. They could be down two to none. And my beef is, and it kind of ties into yours, the Penguins have allowed goals in the first 90 seconds of both games and another time in the first minute of a period, and yet again in the first minute and a half of a period, and that's incredibly damaging, isn't it? It is. It is. I, I, I wish the Penguins would start flipping the script a little bit because I, I hear them talk about weathering a storm. What about the Penguin storm? And it doesn't have to be at home all the time. I don't think the Penguins should talk about that. Listen, you know the other team. It's a playoff. There's eight teams left in the playoff. They're all good. They're all going to come out frothing at the mouth. But how about us delivering a storm that they have to try to weather? I think that's where the Penguins need to be. For well, right, three. because this, this dates back to the Philly series. I think the Penguins have very rarely started out well in any of their eight playoff games. And this time of year, if any team should know you can't come out flat, it's the two-time defending champions. No, and if it's not for their goaltender showing up early in some of those games against the Flyers, who knows, right? And, uh, and, and Matt Murray... Has you know as much as some people want to criticize him on some unbelievable shots by some really skilled players, some perfect shots that beat him. Uh, he's been unbelievable as, as just been able to weather the storm early or right the ship to allow the Penguins to get their feet under them. And that's what I'm talking about. They got to figure this out real quick, and they got to get their act together because they they grabbed the game out of Washington, and now all they have to do is win their home games, and they're going to win this series. They consider themselves very lucky. Uh, and I think big, the biggest part is the goaltender has come to play when puck drops. Talk about Broussard and Kessel. Uh, could Broussard be doing better, and is Kessel playing hurt? 
Well, Phil doesn't seem like himself. I'm not going to comment if, he, if he's hurt or not because I have no clue. I have no idea. Uh, he just doesn't seem himself um, in the way that uh, he's able to hunt down loose pucks and get separation in the first step, speed through the neutral zone, uh, a conviction to shoot first and pass second. Uh, so he doesn't seem like himself, and we need him. We need him badly to get back to being Phil Kessel in game number three. As far as Derek Broussard, I think Derek is always going to be a good player. He's, he's just that type of player. He can skate. He can make plays. But we don't need a good Derek Broussard. We need a great Derek Broussard. And it's time for Derek Broussard to step up. And whether Gino's in tomorrow or not, I think it's time for Derek Broussard to take this series by the horns and be a little bit more impactful. How big is Game 3, Borky, and where do you think this series goes from here? It's huge. They're huge now. You can ask me before Game 4. I'll give you the same answer. It's absolutely huge. And you have to look at it as the next period, period 1 of Game 3, has to be the best period of your life. And when that's over... Period two has to be the same thing. You've got to boil it down to that. You can't look ahead to anything, and you certainly got to rip the rearview mirror off. And the Penguins just need to pull it together and play their best 20 minutes of their lives and then rinse and repeat and do it again in game number three. Borky, great stuff. We'll see you tomorrow night at the rink. All right, Double M, sounds good. I enjoyed it like always, and this was good hockey talk. That's Phil Bork brought to you by Armstrong, One Wire, Infinite Possibilities, and by Coors Light. Enjoy Coors Light's buckets. Five bottles for $10 during all Penguin playoff games at Trace Rios on Carson Street, Southside. Good stuff for Borky. Uh, we got Bob McGawkin up next. And for because you asked for it, I, we got like literally dozens of tweets saying, I was working during the 3 o'clock hour. I heard the Kevin Colbert interview was really good. Can you replay it in the 5 o'clock hour? We will. At 5.30, because you wanted to hear it, right here on 105.9. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. S.G. Hola, good sir. Hola. Hey, Mark, how you doing? My solution is, give me my cake and eat me, too. The X at 105.9. Joined now by Bob McLaughlin. Bob brought to you by 84 Lumber. Bob, uh, you heard the discussion between me and Phil Bork. I'm going to ask you a few of the same questions. Should the goal by Hornquist have counted? Absolutely should have. I mean, for how many years now have you heard if you see any white between the red goal line and the black of the puck, that is a goal. I don't care about the parallax angle or view or anything like that. It doesn't matter in this instance. There was enough there. I don't know how that is not a goal. That parallax viewpoint, which, by the way, everybody I've seen write about that seriously are people that know zero about hockey based on their track record. So when you don't know the game, you write science fiction, I suppose. That parallax crap tells us we're not supposed to believe our own eyes. I mean, come on. Yeah, this isn't mathematics formula or anything like that. There was white. There was clear white. And over the years, I've always heard that the league offices in Toronto have the same feed or the feed is available from the TV broadcast that they go to all available angles. If they didn't have that available, they have to make that happen. They have to have all the angles that the broadcasting network of the game has also because proof positive right there, the white in between that shows it was a goal. It was tucked behind the post. You know, and it could have been even deeper in there, Mark, by the time that they showed that still because Holpe definitely reached back and brought it closer to the line. And, you know, I know he shielded the overhead camera, but definitely a goal. They got to fix that. They got to get it right. That's the whole point of review. Should Verona's goal have counted... Or should it have been allowed for goaltender interference? Borky had kind of a fresh spin on that, saying 
it wasn't goaltender interference, but that uh, I think it was Connolly who pushed uh, Murray's leg back yeah. of the net, like put the stick on pad, that he committed interference, and so they should have kind of done the makeup call by disallowing the goal. Or slashing. I mean, he absolutely used the stick. Here's my point. If I was one of the officials on Ice Mark, and they did talk about it, my argument to the other officials would have been, look, um, Murray was set up closer to the post were over to his glove side. Connolly reached out, pulled his right leg towards his right, which pulled him a little bit off of that post. It pulled him to the center of the net. Guess where the puck went over? It went over his glove hand. It went over his left shoulder. That's the goal. That definitely affected how he played that puck. And if he had a split second to get back into position to adjust the puck again, that doesn't matter. He's still not in the position that he was in when he before Connolly hit him with the stick. So, yes, you can make an, uh, an argument for interference, but more so, there's no argument for slashing. It was a slash. Did Wilson target Dumoulin's head, and should he have been suspended? Absolutely. That's that's Wilson's game. Everybody in hockey has been saying it, except for people who cover the Caps or write for the Caps, and, of course, the uh, player safety office. But he came around, even if Dumo slowed up a little bit, and did turn to miss Ovechkin's, Wilson could have easily hit him in the shoulder or put the body to him in a different angle. He went for the head, and he got the head. It's suspendable. Borky made a good point saying how Tom Wilson handles himself well in front of the camera and the microphones. And, you know, a lot of those goons are like that. They make themselves into being likable, like this twit George Paros, the former goon who's now the head of the Department of Player Safety. He was always witty and hilarious, and he got people to like him. Criminals do that. That's how they cover up for being criminals. You know, the one thing, I used to hear Stu Grimson do interviews and I would think this is not the same guy who just decapitated that player on the ice. This is not the same guy. It was the same guy. Out on the ice, maybe the screw gets a little bit looser or something like that, but that's what happens with Tom Wilson. And it, it it's going to be ugly at some point, and then the league is not going to have any choice, but they got to take care of this now. They're not going to. Uh, Orpic targeted Mata's head in 16. Niskin and Crosscheck sitting ahead last year. Uh, Wilson... Took Dumo's melon off yesterday. Are the Capitals premeditating this? Is this part of their game plan to try and hurt Penguins? I don't know if it's their game plan to hurt Penguins, Mark. It is definitely their game plan to ratchet it up a little bit and to make questionable hits like that. Um, I don't know. Well, I'm sure that there are. I know that there's one player who goes out there to hurt people, and that's Marshawn. He's got too much proof out there on the ice of the crazy stuff that he does and the circumstances you know, that happen to other players that he targets. Um, I don't know if too many people do that intentionally to hurt, um, but, boy, they, they, they have to make better decisions when it comes to the head. And I love what Kevin Colbert said uh, when you talked with him earlier in the hour and when you were done with all the football stuff, and he said, look, in our game, their intent doesn't matter. NHL has to adopt that. Who's going to play, and obviously we have no way of knowing, this is total guesswork, of Dumoulin, Haglund, and Malkin, who all practice today. Who's going to play tomorrow night, and how do you think the Penguins will do? I think they'll win, and I think that Dumoulin will play. I think Malkin's 50-50. It sounded like, listening to Haglund, that he's still at least a game away. Yeah, Haglund's the one who I'm not sure. Um, throughout his practice today, I know he started with the no-contact jersey, and then I think he changed to full yellow, but... I would say Malkin plays tomorrow. I would say Dumo plays tomorrow. And Dumo playing tomorrow is just as monster as uh, Malkin playing tomorrow. 
That's Bob McGaugh. brought you by 84 Lumber. We got the Kevin Colbert interview at the bottom of the hour. And when we come back, well, we might be piling on Tom Wilson with all the criticism. But uh, if I could, I'd hit him in the head with a hammer. 105.9 X.